And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt, Senior Pastor, Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York. Kevin, it's good to have you with us today. Good to be back with you again, Dan, as always. You know, this, uh, what was it, this last Sunday, we celebrated something in the church, many churches did, known as the, the Baptism of Jesus and it's um, in some ways, it, at first take, it looks kind of curious. You're thinking, why does our Lord need to be baptized? Uh, what's this all about? Kevin, that's our topic of discussion today, so maybe you can get us started. Sure. Well, the baptism of Jesus is celebrated yearly by the Church um, after what we call the Advent cycle. And if you think about it, it makes sense that it's there. At Advent, we celebrate his birth, and then in the, in the weeks after Christmas, you'll, you'll have texts on the presentation of, of the young uh, Jesus in the temple. And then the baptism is the next public appearance of Jesus, so it marks the beginning of his public ministry. So just from a sort of uh, linear sequence of Jesus' life, it makes sense that it's here. Uh, however, it's an event, like you said, which has always puzzled uh, People throughout the history of the church, people have wondered what to do with it or what to make of it. Um, John's baptism, for example, uh, Mark's gospel, uh, says it's a baptism of repentance and that the people were coming confessing their sins. It's a baptism that people are fleeing the wrath of God by submitting to. And so one wonders why Jesus has to fulfill or undergo uh, that baptismal rite, and in uh, in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew himself is puzzled by it. He uh, he says to Jesus, "You're coming to me to be baptized. I I should be baptized by you." And the Lord says to him, "Permit it to be so now, in order to fulfill all righteousness." And so that phrase by Jesus is quite evocative. I think he he is saying something like, if I'm going to bring in the messianic promises, if I'm going to fulfill all the promises of God and all the righteousness of God, then I have to submit to this this right, this uh, ordinance of baptism. And so he then works out for us a righteousness throughout the course of his whole life. This is what uh, some in the Christian tradition have called his active obedience. So what we're seeing in the baptism is Jesus Christ fulfilling all righteousness throughout the whole course of his public life, culminating in his death. And one of the great lessons of this is that at the baptism, we see that he lives identified with us so that he can die identified for us. Um, There is a a, a deep link, I think, Dan, between the baptism at the hands of John in the River Jordan and what Jesus calls the baptism in blood, the baptism that he has to undergo at the cross. That baptism in blood is grounded in the fact that Jesus has publicly assumed the mantle of Israel's Messiah and that in him righteousness is being wrought out and will culminate in the sacrifice of the cross. So let me put it another way, maybe, uh, on this question. Think of it like this. John the Baptist preaches this fierce message of coming wrath, right? He, he is the messenger of the coming day of the Lord. He speaks of 
um, the one who has the axe already laid to the root of the tree, the one who has the winnowing fan in his hand and he's going to clear out his barn and he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Um, he says to those who are coming to be baptized, who warned you to flee from the wrath which is to come. So John is the last and great Old Testament prophet. He is bringing in the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord is a day of great judgment. And it reminds us that, you know, when God comes to visit and save his people, he saves them by means of judgment. Salvation is by means of judgment. The beautiful thing in the, at the baptism of Jesus is that Jesus shows up on our side of the judgment, in line with us, ready to submit to this right. It's as if he's saying, I will fulfill their righteousness. I will be numbered with the transgressors. I will bear the wrath and curse of God. I will bear the fire of judgment against them, and I will stand with them in, in this baptism all the way through to my fiery baptism of the cross. It's amazing how much you get out of that short text. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and there's some rich symbolism also, as I recall. Isn't there... Uh, uh, the, the heavens open up, I believe. Yes, I think the, uh, it's a very condensed event, uh, the baptism of Jesus. And by that I mean unpacking it is quite rich, and it unfolds out into much of the history of redemption. So if we look at the actual baptism itself, um, we, we see that it's, for example, first of all, we see that it's a Trinitarian baptism. The Father speaks, the Spirit descends, and the Son is baptized. And, and the, you're right, the, the heavens are, are, uh, are torn open, you know, and that allows, if you will, the Spirit to descend as a dove. If we think of the Spirit descending upon Jesus, we're reminded of the Spirit hovering dove-like over the original creation. And it's quite interesting that in most traditional churches, the Old Testament reading that goes along with the baptism of Jesus is from Genesis chapter 1. It's as if the church has always understood a connection between the original creation and the baptism of Jesus. It, the original world was made out of water, and the world will be remade through our Lord's baptismal waters. There's a sense in which, in the baptism of Jesus, he is being set forth as the new humanity, as the new creation, even even in the way that the Spirit hovered over the original creation, the Spirit now hovers over him who is the head of the new creation. And when we see the Spirit descend like a dove, we're reminded of the dove that returned to Noah's ark, and we're reminded that Jesus is the ark of salvation, who protects us from the waters of judgment. And this is why the Apostle Peter can say, the flood of Noah is a type or a picture of Christian baptism. And so in his baptism, Jesus is being seen as the new Adam or the new creation. He's also being seen as the new Noah. We're also told in the, in the, word, uh, in the word used in the text of the heavens being torn, that word is used in the Old Testament of the, of the parting of, of the Red Sea. And so Jesus is being depicted as the new Moses who delivers his people and I, I suppose someone could think that that's a little fanciful at that point, but it, it really isn't because in the gospel narratives, Jesus is immediately after his baptism driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested and tempted. And as Israel was in the, driven in the wilderness 
for 40 years and failed. Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and passes, you know, obeys and does not submit to the temptations and, and begins to defeat the devil. So Israel moves from exodus through water into the wilderness. Jesus moves from baptism in water into the wilderness. And so Jesus is the new Moses, the new and faithful Israelite. All of this is implied in the, in the, uh, the rich Trinitarian symbolism of Jesus' baptism. This is why this event is really an enormously important event for the life of the church. That's neat. Um, also, I, I'm th- as you talk, it got me thinking uh, the fact that Jesus... Um, um, Jesus is a Jewish man, <laughs> and 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 all the history of the Jews, all that Old Testament um, narrative, all of that has a, has a an important part and is is deeply embedded in Jesus' mind as he goes through this. Yes, I think um, I think that's why it'd probably be easier. Uh, for those very familiar with the Old Testament text, to unpack some of the stuff we just saw, they would see the creation reference and the Noah reference and the Moses reference. Um, and if you look at, for example, in Mark's Gospel, uh, you know, Jesus is baptized at the hands of John the Baptist, and Mark opens his Gospel with an account of this baptism, and he cites at the very beginning of it a passage from Isaiah and from Malachi, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And in the next verse, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus comes out of um, this long history of God and his covenant dealings and faithfulness with Israel. And and John is the culmination of that. John is the one who comes before the great and coming day of the Lord. And so this is a, um, a traumatic uh, conclusion, if you will, to Israel's history. And so this historical sense of Jesus as the great fulfillment of righteousness, fulfillment of all the promises, is very much present. And without it, Without that backdrop of who John is in the culmination of Israel's history, we can't understand Jesus, and we certainly couldn't understand his baptism. You know, I have a saying, Dan, that I'm fond of uh, at Westminster, which is that Jesus cannot be Scandinavian. (laughs) And, you know, the idea is that Jesus cannot simply drop down out of heaven and die for your sins and, and then go back to heaven. He must come out of this long prophetic um, history of Israel, and that's what we see in um, the account, especially in Mark's Gospel. We see it in the others. We see it in Luke and in Matthew uh, of Jesus' baptism. It's grounded in the promises to the prophets, which culminate, culminate in John the Baptist. That's neat. Can you talk just a little bit about, there, there seems to be um, aspects of continuity and discontinuity. We, we talked about the Old Testament and we certainly see a, a basic continuity in terms of how God works, his faithfulness, his planning, his provision. And yet, with um, Messiah Jesus coming, it's, it's very unique, and in a sense, a, a major discontinuity. How do we handle that? 
Well, that's a very large question, and maybe uh, might be a topic for another plain answer broadcast. Yeah. But I think one way to get at it is to ask, uh, what is the relationship between Jesus' baptism at the hands of John and Christian baptism? And yeah, that's a complicated question. Uh, people have differed on it. Calvin thought they were essentially identical. Um, I think there are some real differences. There's no, there's no doubt that John's baptism is something of a preparatory baptism um, and cannot be simply equated with Christian baptism. That uh, Christian baptism happens on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and unites one to Christ, whereas John's baptism was a general baptism of repentance and preparation for the kingdom. However, it seems to me the fact that Jesus is baptized at the hands of John, and, and that his baptism says all the things that it says, that it says, I'm going to bear the, the coming wrath of God, I'm going to bear the judgment that my people deserve, I'm going to stand forth as the new humanity, I'm going to be the faithful Israelite, therefore I will submit to this rite of baptism. Um, what he's doing then is, in a sense, turning the judgment ordeal that we all face into the healing waters of Christian baptism. Uh, another way to say this is, John's baptism is different than Christian baptism, but we are baptized into the baptized one. When we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we are baptized into him who has undergone John's baptism. So we might say this, Jesus Christ himself is the link uh, between John's baptism and Christian baptism. Uh-huh. And in that sense, as you, as you indicated earlier, he's the link, the continuity and the discontinuity between the Old and the New Testaments. Whatever continuity we find, it, it is in God's faithfulness that culminates in Jesus Christ. Whatever discontinuity we find, it is also going to be in the fact that God has brought things to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Mm. Okay. What about um, the word sacrament and um, con- considering a... a the sacramental aspect of the gospel. Maybe you've already touched on this a little bit, but can you comment on that just just a wee bit? Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. Um, part of the reason I think we have trouble with the baptism of Jesus, and it seems odd to us, we're not sure what to do with it, is that just in general, we have a difficult time making sense of the sacraments. Now, we view the sacraments as seals, signs and seals of the gospel. So, the general pattern is God proclaims his word or makes a promise and then seals it with a sign. And, and those signs we have called traditionally sacraments. And so there are two in the New Testament, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, the, and those correspond roughly to uh, you know, Passover and circumcision in the Old Testament. So God makes a promise to Abraham. He seals it with the sign of circumcision. He makes a promise to Israel. He gives them the Passover lamb. Um, And in the New Testament gospel, the the proclamation of the word is sealed with the sacraments. And what's interesting about that is you can see that connection between word and sacrament. Um, In Mark's account of the baptism of Jesus, Mark says he starts his gospel. This is his first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is the way Mark thinks the gospel should be expounded. He's telling us about the gospel, and the first thing he really says is, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. He links gospel 
and baptism in his mind. And so there's a, there's a sort of um, confirmation of, of this idea that there's word and then there's sacrament. And what's fascinating is that John, you know, is preaching a baptism of repentance in verse 4. This is Mark chapter 1. And then in verse 5, he's baptizing. He preaches, then he baptizes. Then in the next couple verses, he preaches Christ, and then Christ comes and he baptizes Christ. So there is a sense in which we can see, even in the baptism of Jesus, that the gospel of Jesus is a gospel which is sealed and enacted and embodied in sacraments. And So one of the things that this does is it shows us the importance of the sacraments. Our Lord himself, who is the gospel, submits to John's baptismal rite. Yeah. I'm thinking, too, about the uniqueness of Jesus. Uh, You've mentioned it already, that it really all revolves around him, whether we're talking continuity or discontinuity. Is there anyone else, I'm going to ask an obvious question, that could have come alongside and said, well... I can do everything this guy does. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to take the baptism. I mean, what what's unique about Jesus? Let's say somebody's listening there. They they say, "Well, big deal." Yeah. This 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 guy, you know, he's what 30 years old. Uh what's the big deal about Jesus, they might say? Well, the the big deal is this. He um he is portrayed by John in two ways. Um and, and, and by the gospel writers in two ways, with respect to the preaching of John the Baptist and the submission to John the Baptist's uh, baptism. He is portrayed as the one who comes after John, um, the one who is God incarnate, the one who will administer the wrath of God, the one who will cut down all unfruitful trees, the one who will, you know gather up the uh, wheat in his barn and bring it into his kingdom and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. He is depicted in these early chapters of the Gospels, uh, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospel, as the coming eschatological judge, the the judge who brings the end forward. Uh, And that's what's happening in Jesus' life and his death. The final judgment is being brought forward and born. The wrath and curse is being born for the people of God in their place. So he's depicted that way. And then at the same time, he's depicted as standing in line with guilty uh, Israel under the wrath of God, ready to submit to this baptismal rite of John, saying, in a sense, I will humble myself to bear their judgment. And so what, when you put all that together, what you have is a situation where the judge, the judge of all, agrees to be the judged. The judge agrees to be the judged. And therefore, the one who administers the wrath bears the wrath himself. And this is another way of saying that Jesus is God and man. And only as a God-man could one bear the wrath and curse of God. And so... No, no one besides him could do what is being done in John's baptism. Mm, okay. So it seems like a key element there is the fact that Jesus is God. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, probably part of the uh, hesitation uh, on John's part in Matthew's Gospel, where he's like, you're coming to be baptized by me. I should yeah. be baptized with you. 
Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit, right? He's the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Right? And the Holy Spirit is God, and the one who, who gives, gives God is also God. So, yes, Jesus is God the Son, and he's, he's God the Son as man, incarnate. And in the baptism uh, of John, he is saying, as the judge who administers the wrath of God, I will take it upon my own head. Mm. And a beautiful thing here that gets missed, I think, is that this means that Jesus is suffering for us, paying the price for us across the whole of his public life. Uh, In fact, across the whole of his incarnate life, and not simply at the cross. It is true that in a unique, culminating, climactic way, Jesus bears the wrath and curse of God against our sins at the cross. But the baptism of John tells us that he is standing in our place and bearing our judgment across his whole life. John Calvin has a wonderful saying, which I'm fond of. He says, from the moment he took the form of a servant, he began to pay the price of our liberation. Amen. And so, again, to go back to something I I said earlier in our discussion, Dan, I think if we're going to get to the... The, the deeper structures here, I think we should think of the baptism in water at the hand of John and the baptism that he undergoes, the baptism in blood, if you will, at the cross, as deeply and profoundly locked into one another. Jesus says in the first baptism at the hands of John, I, the judge, will bear the wrath that I administer. And then at the cross, he manifests that same uh, actual um, righteousness by which he becomes the one who is judged. Mm. And that means the whole of his life is a righteous obedience um, which is given to us, imputed to us, charged to us when we embrace him by faith. Uh, it's, it's, I think one of the great lessons of the baptism of John is that Jesus lives for us so that he can die for us. Mm. Yes. Well, I'm looking at the clock here, Kevin. I see we're just about out of time for this uh, discussion today. Just a note to our listener, if you want more information about this interesting topic, um, Pastor Kevin has preached a sermon on this, and God willing, we're going to be airing it tomorrow, uh, the Lord's Day, at 11 o'clock in the morning and 5 o'clock in the evening on the Westminster Worship Hour. And um, you'll see how it all ties together and it was a wonderful sermon. Uh, Kevin, just a one-minute wrap-up thought uh, before we uh, say goodbye on this. I think, Dan, that in celebrating and remembering our Lord's baptism after the the period of Advent, I think we are uh, taught a wonderful lesson, and that is that Jesus' descent, his humiliation on our behalf, does not end with the Incarnation. He continues to descend down into our darkness, into our uh, situation of being cursed and under the wrath of God, into our need, and to stand with us and, and there redeem us. And so the baptism of Jesus shows us the extent of his descent does not terminate with Christmas. It continues on, and that should stir up our hearts to great love for a great Savior. Yeah, amen to that. 
Well, if our listener has a question for you, Pastor Kevin, share it. Um, we would invite them to send us an email. Use the following address, ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And today's discussion is up on our website. Also, check that out. We're found at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Dr. Kevin Sherritt has been my guest today. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Dan. Thank you. A quick reminder to our listener, join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. We have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. I have known his guidance and I understand the contentment shown by a loving hand. I can see him working in his family who are clearly following their destiny. I can feel his power and their unending love and awesome power coming from above. Yes!